Hello, this is the first podcast of Speaker for Female Homeless, and today we have Mrs. Davis with us. She's a high school counselor at Seoul International School, so could you please introduce yourself? Yes. So this is, I'm Ashley Davis, and this is my first year at Seoul International School. I um, have been a counselor since 2012. I have my license for professional counseling in the U.S., and I've worked with young people for, uh, hold on, I have to do some quick math, for 13 years. Um, where have you lived before coming to Korea? I've only lived in the U.S. Um, I've lived in a few different states in the U.S., Texas, Arizona, and Oregon. And then we've had the opportunity to travel quite a bit, but this is my first time actually living in a different country. Um. We know that you're interested in various movements, um, social movements relating to women, and we wanted to know where that interest kind of sparked or started in your life. Yeah, that's I know you. That's such a a good question. Um, and I actually I would say the interest didn't consciously spark for me until I was in my late twenties. I would say. Um, and that's probably because of the way I, I grew up in a pretty rural and uh, part of the United States and just sort of the way my, my family hierarchy was set up and the conversations we had in our family. And then in my late 20s when I went, um, when I was in school for my master's in counseling program, I was introduced to a bunch of really strong women and outspoken women and I sort of started dipping my my toe in conversations around what it means to be a feminist and what it means to be a woman in the United States. And um, I think for a long time, I had the idea that the word feminist or being a feminist meant like not, not liking men or not respecting men or, or kind of wanting to be very uh, independent. And then I realized that that's not what throughout my own like education experiences, I realized there's so much more to it. And then I slowly, within the community we lived in, got more involved with several organizations, probably the most impactful one being um, an organization called the World Muse Organization. And um, that is a, a nonprofit um, organization that connects women from all over the world. And it's really powerful. And then I just started learning what how how women have been oppressed throughout the world and kind of the move like a movement certain movement that's happening um so regarding the women's right movement um how have you like participated or engaged with the students regarding these issues in your previous schools like what activities did you host or what conversations did you usually have with your students yeah so we the a couple of different things. One, I started a youth um, program at our school, and we would meet once a week, and and males and females um, would come. It was not female exclusive, but it was a time really for young girls to use their voice, um, and it was around any topic that would that was important to them. And so we, each year we would choose a project um, 
and we would work towards that project. So one project that we did was um, working to kind of decrease the hate speech that was happening in our school. Um, and so we did a campaign and, and my students made a video and, and then our campaign was, act, our video was actually featured at a film festival. Um, and so it wasn't just issues around being a feminist, but it was more about uplifting the voices of our female students. Um, and then another project that we worked on was called Soul Skate. And Tony Hawk, who's a famous uh, skateboarder, he, we partnered with his organization and our art teacher to um, take old skateboards, skate deck, skateboard decks, and do artwork on the back of them and then auction them off. And then we raised money for this organization that teaches girls in Iraq and Iran how to skateboard. Um, and so we would just kind of like pick different organizations that we wanted to support and find ways to to that our girls could lift up their voices. And then we participated in things like local women's marches. I would take girls to the the Muse um, conference each year, and we would just engage in those conversations. That's very interesting. So um, since you've lived both in the U.S. and Korea, I think you like kind of know the main difference between the two. Like... Um, regarding women's rights or roles or position in society, what do you think the main difference is? That's a really good question. Um... It's not been long since you came, so yeah. I think you're still in the learning process, but do you have, in general, do you notice any differences or... Students I'm trying to people. think about how to articulate this. Like, it's not, I, and you're right. Like, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm right. We've only, I've only been here a few months, um, and I think it takes years to understand the culture of, of especially something this, a topic this big. And, um, but one of the things I think that strikes me uh, is interesting is. It seems like, and it's exciting because it seems like Korea is sort of in the infancy stages of talking about these issues, like these kind of social issues and issues around like females and where is a woman's sort of place in society and how does she fit in and, and learning how to navigate and balance like being a mom and, and having a career and having just a voice and, and being seen as as valued. And it sounds like you know, a lot of that from what I'm learning and understanding is part, it creates a very Confucius society. Um, and so the, those those um, pieces run really deep here and understandably. And so what I try to figure out is like, what is, when I'm working with young girls in Korea and same thing in the US, it's not imposing my values and what I think or believe on students or on my clients or people that I'm working with. It's not about what I want or what I believe, but it's I'm trying to gain an understanding of what it is that you want and what you're hoping for and like what's the society and the world you're trying to cultivate and create for yourself. And then how do I support with that? Like that's my view as a counselor. That I feel like that's my role as a counselor. Um 
like you mentioned, um, it's hard to like grasp movements in Korea because it's so new and it's not talked about well. But I just want to mention the book called Kim Jong Born in 1982. And for people who might not know what the book is, I'll just explain a bit. So the novel called Kim Jong Born in 1982 was published in 2016 and sold more than a million copies. And it tells the story of an ordinary 30-year-old Korean woman who is juggling work and family. And she goes through the gender discrimination she faces at each phase of her life. And the book was hailed by some as one of the most important feminist novels in South Korea. But it also led to an outcry from anti-feminists in the country as well. That book was the first kind of feminist novel that went mainstream in South Korea and you've read it so um, could you tell us a little bit about what you thought about the book and what you learned? Yeah um, I think I walked away with probably more questions than solid thoughts like just questions around because so she was born in um, 1984 right and is that right or 83? 82. (laughs) I was close. So, and I was born in 1983. And so the the character in the book, like we're about the same age, right? And so listening to her experience of, so I found myself naturally just comparing my experience of growing up in the U.S. to her experience here. Um, and I think I walked away with wondering like how much change has shifted. So as young people reading that book, do you think like, oh, this is my life. This is, these are my experiences. Or do you have the tendency to read a book like that and think, wow, I'm glad things have changed or wow, a lot has changed since then. Like women have a different role. And then I guess I also walked away with the question or wondering because a novel like that in the US can be pretty universal, but it can be also be unique to, to social and economic status within the US. And so some, depending on geographically where you live in the US and depending on what your social and economic status is, is also pretty dependent on like where the feminist movement is in the US, I guess, like that plays a lot into it. So I think after I read that book, I wondered how universal that is in Korea, how universal her experience is and her story is. and I don't know the answer to that. But overall, I learned a lot about the book in terms of like sort of what drives birth rates or declining birth rates in Korea and um, what like how women are viewed in the working world and, and the pressures that women come up against of having to decide, the seemingly having to decide between do I have a career and pursue my own dreams and honor my own desires for my life? Or do I have children? And that to me should not, my coming from my perspective, it shouldn't be an or, like this one or that one. Like how do you find a place for both? And so that it was really enlightening, but I guess kind of going off on a tangent, but when I come back to it, I try to be cautious to not make that the blanket experience. I'm assuming it's not the blanket experience for every female in Korea and for every couple with a child in Korea. 
since you've reflected on your thoughts about the book, we want to ask you what is your personal opinion on having children relating to the story as well? Like, in, what do you, when you ask what is my personal opinion on having children, what do you mean? Be, can you be more specific? Like, what, like you mentioned, you, it shouldn't be like an and-or situation when you pick children and work, but as a working woman, what we want to know what your opinion is on having children. Are you against it? Or are you for it? Or just personal? Yeah. Um. Well, Ooh. gosh, that is such a... I, my husband and I together have made a personal choice to not have children. Um, and that is so complicated and layered. That's not something I typically like share right off the bat because it's met with a lot of different reactions to me that's a really personal decision um and something that isn't oh I think from what I've learned over the over my years is that and I even think she touches on this in the book when she and her husband are trying to have a child and um did they wait a little bit to have a child I think is what the case was um and they were being asked a lot like why not and I try to be really sensitive to those sort of conversations because I've learned over the years that there's a lot of different factors into either why people are choosing to not or why people, like if, if women can't, like if you find out you can't have a child and that's really hard. Um, but I do firmly believe that I guess instead of framing it as for or against it, I think it's just, it's such a personal decision and allowing women and couples to make that decision together and to not, I think it's important that really with anything that people choose to do or not do with their lives, like we don't approach it with judgment because you don't know like what, you don't know what factors went into making that decision, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I know for my husband and I, there are a lot of factors that went into making that decision, a lot. And at the end of the day, though, we find we get our fulfillment from working with, with teenagers and we, we feel very, and, and just kids in general, and we find ways to like, I don't know, to sort of use that time that might typically go towards raising children to giving back to our community, whatever community that that is. Um, and that is personally very fulfilling. So, but then I think you had asked at one point, well, I don't want to get ahead of the questions. You might have another one. But no, I, well, I was going to say, I think you had asked at one point around like working moms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and what is my opinion on that? And when you typed that, that question to me I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and I'm like gosh because all of my my really close girlfriends are working moms um and I've kind of watched them struggle with that in one degree or another just finding that balance over the years and I all of my girlfriends I can say with complete confidence are very strong women and are uh feminists and you know, have stand in their power and all of those phrases that are being used, you know, and, um, but I think what I walk away with thinking about is that 
a mom is not just a mom. She's, she's a lot, just like you are not just a female. You are not just a high school student. You know, there's so much more to all of us. And I think as a society, and I, I'm going to probably use that more in terms of U.S. society because I'm, that's what I'm most familiar with. We have a tendency to, once a mom has it, once a woman has a child, that becomes her identity. And we forget that just being a mom doesn't mean there's, that that's it. There's all, she also has so much more to offer the world and is so much more to offer like outside of being a mom. And so speaking as a therapist who's worked with kids for a long time, I think that and believe that if a woman does what makes her happy and healthy and whole, like makes her feel whole as a person, um, that will inevitably benefit her child because she's teaching through example that you can be multiple things and and you're showing your child like kind of what a strong what you can do as a strong woman and at the same time if a woman decides to stay home with her child and not work that's also a very personal decision and that's a, that's really hard to be a stay-at-home mom and so I think it comes back to like not imposing our own values and judgments on other people and their decisions and trusting that Women have a really strong intuition that we are, it's a gift that I'm absolutely convinced that women have like the strongest intuition. And if we learn to listen to that and kind of drown out all the other noise and opinions and judgments of others, we know what's best for us. And so we know if it's best for us to have a child or not have a child. We know if it's best for us to be a working mom or a stay-at-home mom or finding a balance of both, you know, but I think with, in regards to like moms and raising children or families and raising children, the factor of being a working mom or not isn't the most important thing, but I think it's more important if a mom is like sensitive and compassionate and mentally and emotionally and psychologically well-adjusted and is showing up for her child in a really positive and healthy way and has that like stable home and the the time that is spent together with their child is very quality time those things go way further than that like to work or not to work mm-hmm. that was a super long way <laughs> i think what you just mentioned and talked about working woman relates to our next question so um According to a study published by the Institute for Social and Economic Research, the children of mothers who work return to work full-time in the years before they start school have slower emotional development and score less well in reading and math tests. So I think these statistics, um, they're, um, they're showing that working women might hinder the development of children um, and do you have any opinion on these statistic research? I think I'm more curious about it um, because I'm not an expert on research in that area. I guess the questions that come to my mind is the working moms. So again, I'll speak to to the U.S. and statistics that I'm familiar with, but when 
parents are working multiple jobs whenever children are young. The factors that go into their um, their being at a disadvantage with their reading levels and academic abilities aren't so much in direct relation to working parents, but there's also the consideration that like they might not have English as their first language. They might not have their own educational level to be able to like to read to their children. They might be working jobs that put them home at very late hours after their children are asleep and they don't have that time and connection with their child because there's and then I also have the wondering of do those children catch up do their reading levels um, and academic levels catch up once they um, by the time they are in third grade I have that wondering in my mind Um, and I don't know I haven't read that research specifically Um, because what we know as educators is one of the number one factors that plays into academic readiness, you know, going into school and reading levels is parents reading with their children at night and talking to their children. Just that simple act of like conversing and, and reading stories um, is the, the number one best thing that a parent can do for academic readiness and reading levels. And so I guess I wonder just about the direct connection between like working moms and lower, did you say lower reading levels and academic levels? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what else might go or be playing into that? And I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I guess a lot of factors play into this and we just can't like determine that the working woman is just a direct cause of these effects. And Mm -hmm. I guess that's, all of the questions for today um we want to thank you for your time because we know you're busy and um do you have any last thoughts or comments about this or the general topic um i i think my only last thought and this is just i'm just really thrilled that you're doing this because Uh, you know, one of the reasons why, I think the main reason why I like working with young people, as cheesy and cliche as it sounds, like you are the future. And I'm always impressed whenever young people put themselves out there. And it's just energizing to see you exploring these topics and trying to like, make a difference in whatever way that might be like, you're not I love that young people don't accept the status quo and you find ways to engage in difficult conversations and, and make change. And so I think you're, you're setting this example of choosing a topic um, or a social issue that is important to you and you're not just saying it's important to you. You're doing things about it. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm just, thank you for doing that. I'm really impressed with you both. You're welcome. (laughs) Once again, thank you for your time. And yeah, thank you for our interview. All right. Okay. Bye-bye.